Father, as we come today and we look at this table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, and we see the birth of the original nations that inhabited this earth, Lord, uh, some fascinating material here, but Lord, there's one nation that's birthed in this chapter that's the most important nation, and that's where we want to put our focus today. At least that's where we want to end this message and uh, the point that we want to receive from you. And I just ask today, Lord, that you just show us how important this text is. Even though it's a list of names, there's, there's some really uh, great truths embedded in this text. And Lord, so uh, help us to wade through it uh, by the power of your Spirit and and glean the important lessons that you have for us here. Just lots to learn, and uh, Lord, we can only do that if you help us. So we just ask for that help today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Amen. Now, Brandon's been looking forward to me coming to chapter number 10, because if you look there, I pick on him on Wednesday night when if he butchers one of those names in Chronicles. And now we come to chapter 10 and look at that list of names. And I've got to go through this whole thing and without, try, without boring you to death and uh, uh, trying to find the message that God has for us here. So, so bear with me. But let's, let's look at chapter number 10 today. And in this chapter, you're going to see we have the table of the original nations that inhabited the earth after the flood. Uh, they're the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons of Ham, Shem, and Jabeth. And, and there are really some fascinating things to see in this text. Uh, if we had months or years to study it, I mean, you actually could take a, a year-long study uh, looking at this in an archaeological context, uh, in, in an anthropological context, and there's just some great things that, that uh, have been dug up over the years that just verify these names and these original nations. And and again, we could spend a lot of time on that, but uh, we're going to try to glean the theological things uh, that we can get. And we're going to look at this in the context of this curse and this blessing that Noah made upon his sons in the last part of chapter 9. So we're going to try to tie all this together. So it's going to be uh, a difficult thing to do, but uh, very rewarding if we can get this done. Now, I want to begin in the last verse of chapter number 10. And listen to what uh, we're told there. And, and this is kind of a summary of what we're going to be looking at. It says in verse number 32, it says, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations. And from these nations... I'm going to add a word here, were birthed and divided on the earth. From these, the nations were birthed and divided on the earth after the flood. And so these are the original nations. And over the years, the archaeologists have dug up some of these ancient sites. And sure enough, they find documents and tablets and all sorts of materials where these cities are actually named, or these nations are actually named. And it's just been one uh, discovery after the other, especially in the 19th and 20th century when they started really looking at this. Probably the greatest expert on archaeology who's ever lived is biblical archaeology is Dr. William F. Albright. I don't even know if he was a Christian, but he was considered by by most archaeologists is to be the, you know, the, the real father of, of, of archaeology. And listen to what he says about chapter 10 of Genesis. He says, and I'm quoting now, he says, chapter 10 of Genesis stands absolutely alone in ancient literature. Without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, it is where we find the most accurate uh, approach to a distribution of peoples in, geneal- in a genealogical framework, and this table of nations remains an, an astonishingly accurate document. Now, many of the names that we're going to look at in chapter 10 are different from the names of the nations today. Uh, but again, when they have gone into these ancient ruins, they have actually found, and, and looked at some of these ancient document, documents that they've discovered. They've seen these many of these nations named over and over again. Now, what I want to do again, I want to look at this in the context of Noah's prophecy that he makes in chapter number nine, the last part of chapter number nine, 
beginning in verse 25. And we'll get to that prophecy in a minute, but let's go back to where we left off last time. Remember, Noah had sinned. Now, how did Noah sin? He, he got off the boat. He became a farmer. He planted a vineyard. He grew some grapes. He uh, fermented those grapes. He made some wine, and he sat down in his bed, and he got absolutely plastered. And uh, while he's plastered, he, the, the alcohol makes him hot, so he strips off his clothes, and he's laying in the bed, and he passes out. And in walks his son, Ham. And Ham does this. We have this sin of Ham that we looked at last week, where Ham just, just stands at the doorpost, and he gazes at, at his father, and he gloated at his fall. I mean, here is is his father who had been strict on him his whole life. He had brought him up so rigidly because they lived in such a wicked world. And and now his father is plastered and and passed out naked. And and so he gloats at the fact that his father is passed out. And he goes and he gets his brothers and he tries to get them to gloat too, but they'll have none of it. They'll actually go in the room backwards and go in there and put the clothes back on Noah. And then we picked up in verse number 24, and as soon as Noah awoke, and that's where we're at today, so let's tie that right back to verse 24 of chapter 9. So as soon as Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what Ham had done, his younger son had done to him, and no sooner does he realize it than he pronounces this curse on his son Ham. And he actually puts the curse on uh, Ham's son, Canaan, and the reason is because this curse is going to be a product of Ham's self-righteous attitude. And, and then he's going to curse Ham through Canaan, and then he's going to bless Shem, and he's going to bless Jabez. So let's, let's pick up and let's look at this curse in verse number 25. Listen to what he says. He says, Cursed be Canaan, Canaan and all of his descendants, and really cursed be all of Ham's sons. Because they will be a servant of servants. They shall be, that's what they shall be to their brethren. Now, remember last week when we left off, I told you that Ham's punish, I mean, yeah, Ham's punishment fit his crime perfectly. Uh, and, and this isn't so much a curse of God as it is a prophecy of God. By the Spirit of God, Noah is prophesying about how the descendants of Ham are going to turn out and how the descendants of Shem are going to turn out and how the descendants of Japheth are going to turn out because of the, the actions of their fathers. And, and there's a great lesson there for all of us fathers. Our sons and our sons' grands, their sons and their grand, our great-grandsons, they're all influenced <coughs> by the things that we do. And so, the, again, this isn't so much a curse as it is a prophet, prophecy. And it's about the fate of the descendants of Ham and, 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 and this first prophecy. And the reason Canaan is cursed is because of his father's self-righteous uh, attitude toward his father's father and ultimately towards God. Ham was a self-righteous man. And let me tell you what self-righteousness does. Self-righteousness breeds deism. Now, what is deism? Deism is where you know of God but you don't know God. There are a lot of deists in the United States of America today. They know about Jesus Christ. Just knowing the facts about Jesus Christ doesn't save you. You have to know Jesus Christ. And you know Jesus Christ through faith, through faith in him and and his work on the cross and the blood that he shed shed for you. But if you are a self-righteous person, if you are a legalist, that's, and you say you know the Lord, that's going to breed deism. And personally, I don't believe deists are saved. And then deism, the next step from deism is humanism. Deists eventually become humanists. And you kind of see this process taking place in the United States of America. America was founded by deists, people of God, people who believed in the Bible. But they did, a lot of the people who founded this country didn't really know God. And so now we've moved from deism to humanism, and then what's the next step? You move from humanism all the way back to what? Paganism. And you see that happening in the United States of America. We used to, you know, they were saying a while back we were a a humanistic society. Now, if you really look at the United States 
objectively, we have become a pagan society. And, that's, that, and it's only going to get worse. And that's kind of the cycle of all the nations, but especially nations that begin with this attitude of self-righteousness. And that's the attitude that, that Ham passed down to his son. So it really isn't so much God cursing Ham as it is Ham cursing his descendants by his attitude. He planted this kind of attitude, these seeds of, of uh, deism and then humanism and paganism, and that becomes the history of these nations that come forth from Ham. And uh, uh, what's the curse here? I mean, what, what, how is he actually cursed? Well, he's cursed because the descendants of Ham are going to be historically a lesser people uh, than the descendants of, of Ham's brothers because of their independence and godliness. Uh, they're going to establish their own morality, and it's not going to be so moral. And uh, whenever you become immoral, you become weak, and you're taken over by stronger people. A weak country eventually is taken over by a stronger country. Uh, so some of Ham's descendants are eventually going to be, even become slaves. And that's why in, instead of mentioning Ham here in this curse, if you look at verse number 26, it mentions Canaan. Because Canaan actually, they lived in the promised land for several centuries, and then they were taken over and enslaved by Israel. So, so there's that prophecy being full, fulfilled, but it also applies to all of the descendants of Ham. Now, here's what you've got to throw out right away, this idea that Ham was a black man and that this applies to black people. I, I mean, that's, that's really, there's no historical evidence for that. Ham was the same race as his father was. The, the races would develop, on, develop later on after the fall of Babel, uh, after the migrations to various areas where the sun changed the pigmentation of people over time. The environment and the genetics changed. And so that's how the races were developed. So this isn't a black and white thing. This is about the descendants of Ham. Uh, and and uh, because of his attitude, uh, they're going uh, to gonna be a lesser people in history. But uh, only a minority of their descendants became, actually became slaves. So this, this verse has other implications than just slavery. And, and again, looking at this text, it says, Cursed be Canaan because he will be a servant of servants. Now, that word servant is better translated steward. He will be a steward of stewards. Now, that's really sort of a blessing. And I said earlier, this curse is really not, this is not so much a curse as it is a lesser blessing. Ham is going to be a blessed nation, a, a blessed group of nations. Uh, the descendants of Ham are going to be blessed. But they're going to use their blessings to serve others. In other words, they're going to be endowed with talents and gifts and goods. And they're going to use those talents over the centuries to serve their brothers as a lesser nation. So uh, uh, they're going to serve the descendants of Japheth and Shem by their contributions to mankind. Now, what I want to do now is look at the descendants of Shem, I mean of Ham, and look at their descendants and see if this doesn't fit historically, if it wasn't fulfilled historically uh, over the centuries. So, so go with me to chapter 10, and we're going to, have to, we're going to, go to, we're going to follow this in, in line with the blessings and curses here. So we're going to look at uh, a different order than you get in chapter number 10, the order of the descendants of these sons. So uh, go with me to chapter 10, and let's begin down in verse number 6. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havia, Saptra, Rama, Saptika. You like that, Brandon? And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now, if you look up at the map, if you don't have, a, if you have a bulletin, get your bulletin out. David's got a map up here if you don't have a bulletin. But if you have your bulletin, I need to get mine out too. Look at the map there, and you'll see these names on that map. You'll see this table of nations, at least the names of the sons 
on the map. You don't see all the grandsons on the map. But, but uh, looking now at, at chapter 10, verse 6, if you, you, you can see where they settled. Uh, Canaan settled in, in modern-day Israel. The, the uh, uh, Cush, Mizraim, and Put settled. Uh, Mizraim you don't see on this map, but it's over uh, uh, in the land of Egypt. Uh, does it show on that map right there? No. Yeah, yeah, it shows down in that. You can see that's the area of Egypt right there. So, so Mizraim is Egypt. Uh, Cush, uh, well, let's go back to Put. Looking at Put here, Put is uh, uh, Libya, and Canaan we know is modern day Israel, and uh, Cush is Ethiopia. Now they have actually discovered tablets that name these actual actual cities. Cush is called Cushy. Mizraim we see in the Bible. Uh, referred to as Egypt in, in, in several places. So we know that Mizraim is Egypt, Put is Libya, Canaan is modern-day Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. Now, if you look at verse number 7, you see Seba. Seba, and you see, I know you won't see it on your map, but that's modern-day Sudan. And I'm not going to go through every one of these names, but you see Septeca, and, and there, that's, he was the father of the Sabaeans. Uh, then look down at verse number 8, and here's a name that's familiar with you. In verse number 8, it says, Cush begot Nimrod. You remember Nimrod? Uh, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. I mean, he was like the mightiest man on earth. Uh, kind of reminds you of Lamech uh, in, the, in, the earlier, in an earlier chapter in Genesis. And look at verse number 9. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter. In other words, everybody wants to be like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. That was the saying that was going around. Everybody wants to be like, not Mike, but Nimrod. Uh, uh, and and why, what is, what is, how is Nimrod described? He's described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. See any problem with that? What's the problem with that? The big difference between being a mighty hunter before the Lord and a mighty hunter of the Lord. You see that attitude of Ham there uh, uh, that's, that's been inherited by Nimrod? I mean, uh, he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, not a mighty hunter of the Lord. He was impressed with himself and everybody was impressed with him. But he really didn't know the Lord. He, 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 he lived before the Lord. He lived with a knowledge of the Lord. But he wasn't a mighty hunter of the Lord. And I don't think the Lord was very impressed with Nimrod, if you want to know the truth. I mean, Psalm chapter 147 says, The Lord does not delight in the strength of a horse or the legs of a man. The man who impressed the Lord, the women who impressed the Lord, are the women and men who find their strength in the Lord. Men like Gideon, men like Samson, men like David, men like Elijah. I could go through a great biblical list there. They found their strength in the Lord. But Nimrod was the quintessential humanist. I mean, he was so strong in the eyes of the world that he didn't think he needed the Lord. And so he lived in defiance. Of the Lord. Look at some of the cities that he established. This is really interesting right here. Look at verse number 10. It says, and, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. You ever heard of Babel? We're going to see that in chapter number 11. We're going to see the Tower of Babel, where men are going to build this tower in, in defiance of the Lord. And so this man lived in defiance of the Lord. He said, and, he, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, uh, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna. In the land of Shinar. And then verse number 11. We're going to see another great city that he formed. It says from, from that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. You remember Nineveh? Remember that's the city that Jonah went and prophesied against. The, the, the city that thought it was so great. Some of the minor prophets prophesy against Nineveh. Uh, and then these other cities that he, that he lists right there. So you see two cities that he lists right there that, that actually... 
uh, are historically lined up against the Lord. We even see Babylon, which represents this great one world order, order at the end of time. We see it in the book of Revelation. And so we see this over and over and over again, this, this humanistic, self-righteous attitude raising its head up against God because the a group of people come along and they don't see the need for the Lord and, and then they live in defiance of the Lord. All right, now, and, and, and you look at Nimrod and his actions fit this curse perfectly. Again, he knew about the Lord, but he didn't lived independently of the Lord because he didn't fear the Lord. And where did he inherit that attitude? He inherited that attitude from his grandfather, Ham. All right, now, then look at verse number 15, and you see uh, the fact that Canaan begot his first son, Sidon. Sidon, you're familiar with Sidon. You remember those twin cities of Tyre and Sidon? Uh, they, they were uh, founded by Canaan's son, Sidon. And then you see Heth, and this is a really interesting name here because Heth is the father of the Hittites. Later on, we'll see the Hittite Empire. The Hittite Empire was a mighty empire in that area for centuries uh, uh, in Asia Minor uh, for over eight centuries. And the cuneiform monuments, which are an ancient document that, have been discovered, that were discovered in the 20th century, indicate that the Hittites actually became the Mongolians who spread themselves into the Far East. Or they were part of this migration to the Far East. All right, and then look at verse number 16, and you see some familiar nations there. You see the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites, uh, all sorts of lights and shites. And then uh, in verse number 17, you see the Hivites and the Archites, and this is a really interesting one, the Sinites. Uh, the Sinites might very well be, they, anthropologists believe they are the people who settled China. Uh, that's why you, China, the peninsula of China is called Sino. You remember the Japanese Sino War. So they're, the, they're part of the Sinites. Now you look at these nations on the map and where they're located. And they all migrated south further south as the nations grew into southern Africa. Uh, they were in Canaan, up in that area, then over into China, into that area, into that Mongolian area. And then you just, if you're a historian, you look at history and you look at what's happened over history, and truly these nations have been some of the most godless nations on earth, and they have been a servant of servants to the rest of mankind. As I said earlier, many of them, not most of them, but many of them became slaves. I mean, I'm not... I'm not advocating slavery, and you certainly can't take these texts and say this, this advocates slavery, but several of them did become slaves. They became more and more pagan. They were humanistic. Uh, they were deistic, then humanistic, and then as they spread out, they became more paganistic, and they became a weak people, and they were captured, and they, many of them became slaves. Uh, but most importantly, they made all sorts of contributions to all of mankind, to their brothers. Uh, after the dispersion at Babel, which we'll look at in chapter number 11, they were the ones who explored the world before even the Europeans explored the New World. Uh, many people believe that the American Indians came uh, from the sons of Ham. Uh, uh, the, the Eskimos and, and some of these people that we see in the far-off lands, they actually did a lot of exploration uh, early on before uh, the, the exploration in, in, the, in the latter part of uh, the, the, in the earlier centuries uh, up until now. They also invented all sorts of stuff. You know, there's proof that they were the first to come up with a wheel, uh, the plow, all sorts of building tools, uh, medicine, surgery, uh, banks. I don't know why they did that. Banks, but... But, uh, sorry, <laughs> Yvonne, I, I love bankers. I just don't like banks. Uh, they developed writing and paper and ink, and so they really have made all sorts of contributions 
to mankind. And even today, if you look at a map and you look at these nations, a lot of the world's goods are being produced in a way. They're not slaves, but they're serving the rest of mankind by producing many of the goods that are used throughout the world. This whole area of, of uh, the sons of Ham is, is really produces a large portion of the material goods consumed by mankind. Uh, so uh, many of these nations that we just looked at have prospered over history. Uh, and so really, as I said earlier, this is really less of a, a curse than it is a lesser I mean, it's more of a lesser blessing than it is a curse. So they were blessed, and they blessed others. Now, let's get to the blessings of uh, Shem and Jabeth. And uh, whereas Ham's descendants were, were materialistic and godless, Shem's descendants started out as being pretty godly people. And Jabeth's uh, uh, descendants, as we're going to look at, became really the thinkers and philosophers of the world, and that's what we're going to see as we, we look at this table of nations. But let's go back and look at the blessing now of Shem uh, in verse number 26. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Now, the big blessing here isn't that Canaan is the servant of Shem. The big blessing here is that the Lord, Jehovah, is the God of of Shem. That was Shem's blessing when they started out. I mean, Jehovah, the blessing simple. Jehovah will be his God. Uh, and if you have Jehovah as your God, you are fully blessed with all things. I mean, you're fully blessed with forgiveness. You're fully blessed with life. You're fully blessed with righteousness. You're fully blessed with purpose. You're fully blessed with wisdom. You're fully blessed with might. You're fully blessed with protection. Why would anybody not want to be, live under the blessing of God? I mean, that's, I mean, if anybody knew that, it was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I mean, how could Ham ever become self-righteous when he saw a wicked world destroyed and he saw God protect him through that flood? But he did. And, and, and it's real easy for that to happen generationally uh, past that first generation, past the generation of Noah, and that's what happened to Ham. But Shem was blessed. And he saw God as his God. Now, now the Shemites later become, we, we call them something different now. From that name, we call them Semites. Have you heard the word anti-Semitism? That comes from anti-Shemitism, uh, from Shem, the, the, the son Shem. And so uh, they are the Semites. So from now on, I'll refer to them as the Semites. So the Semites were blessed with the Lord, just like uh, the Lord will tell Abraham later on, I am your exceedingly great reward. Hey, the greatest blessing you can have is to know the Lord. That is the greatest blessing you can have. If you know the Lord, all, everything else will take care of itself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you, you know the Lord, you're truly, you're truly blessed. And, and they started out worshiping God. Uh, the Semites did. But over the centuries, uh, uh, they, they drifted away from God. Uh, they forsook Yahweh. And uh, the, by the for end of the first century, the Jews were virtually destroyed. Uh, then that area in the early, uh, uh, the 7th, the 8th century, was taken over by the Muslims. And so they're still a monotheistic people. That area that you're going to look that you look at on that map where they're at, and we'll look at their sons in just a minute. But that they pretty much stay that dot where you see the dot on the map. That's where the ark landed, and they, the, the sons of of uh, Shem pretty much stayed in that general area. We'll see here in just a minute. Uh, but uh, they're really not a godly people today but they are monotheistic which means you believe in one god they're the one area in the world that that uh still is is monotheistic uh now let's go to the table of nations and look at look at the shemites and we'll begin that in chapter number 10 and look down at verse number 22 and in some of these names you'll recognize it says the sons of shem were elam asher are facts said, Lud, and Aram. Now, let's look at each one of these. Elam is the father of the Elamites. They, they are a 
kingdom that doesn't last very long. We see them come up against, they're one of the seven kingdoms that come up against Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Abraham. You remember the king of the Elamites? Uh, that's, that's one of the sons, they come from one of the sons of Elam. Uh, then uh, you've got Asher, which is the uh, forefather of the Assyrians, uh, which is today part of, part of modern-day Iraq and, and Iran. And then you've got Arphaxad, which is the line that leads to Abraham and to Israel. Now, that's, that's the most important name on this list, Arphaxad, uh, because they eventually become the Jews, and we'll see that here in just a minute. And then there's Lud, uh, who was the father of the Lydians. We, we, a little bit of history about them. And then there's Aram, a very important name there because uh, he was the father of the Arabs, uh, Syria, and Saudi Arabia. They, 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 they uh, are sons of, of Aram. All right, now, uh, we'll come back to, to the sons of Shem just a little bit later. But, but again, if you look on the map, they pretty much stayed right there in that area uh, just south and southeast of where the ark landed. Uh, later on, uh, Abraham would migrate down to Canaan, and then you would have begin the birth of the nation of Israel, but that doesn't come till later on. All right, now, let's look at the blessing of Japheth, and this is a really fascinating thing. I know this is boring some of you, but there's some really fascinating stuff in here if you'll really hang with it. Uh, look at verse number 27. It says, May God enlarge Japheth. I mean, to me... What's fascinating about this is how accurate these prophecies are. I mean, this was written, you know, probably by Shem uh, shortly uh, after the flood. And so, so it's just amazing that these prophecies were fulfilled almost to the T. Uh, but look at this. It says, May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and again may Canaan be his servant. Again, the most important part of this prophecy isn't that, that uh, Canaan be the servant of Japheth, but look at what happens. Two things happen to Japheth that are very interesting that were fulfilled over time. First of all, may God enlarge Japheth. He, he would become the largest or the most powerful of the brothers. Uh, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, that's really an interesting prophecy that we're going to have to look at here uh, a little bit more in just a second. All right, now. Let's look at how this is fulfilled through the table of nations. And we find Japheth in the table of nations beginning in chapter 10, verse number 2. And and you you ought to recognize some of these names. You guys who are prophecy uh, guys, uh, you're going to see a lot of the the names that appear in some of the prophecies in in, uh, Revelation and in Ezekiel especially. Uh, the nations that come against Israel in the last days, we see those nations appear right here in these, in these few verses. Look at chapter number 10, verse 2. The son of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan. You talk about some big players here. Tubal, Meshach, Tyrus. Uh, just, just, uh, just looking at some of those. Anthropologists, uh, for the most part, are in agreement that uh, Gomer was the father of uh, the uh, Crimeans, and the Crimeans migrated to Germany uh, and to Wales. And so some of you have your ancestry in, in Gomer. Uh, Magog and Tubal and Meshech all migrated up to Russia. You can, you can see that uh, on your map. Uh, Medai is the father of the Medes. You remember the Medes and Persian Empire. They actually took over Persia. And so Medai is a very important name. Javan is universally accepted. You can even see this in Greek literature as the father of the Greeks. And so you've got the Greek Empire that's represented right here. Look down in, the, in uh, verse number 4, and you see one of the sons of uh, Javan was Elisha. Have you ever read Homer's Iliad? The Elysians actually appear in Homer's Iliad. You've heard of the Elysian fields? So you see a lot of these names uh, in ancient documents. Uh, Then you have uh, his son uh, going back, Tyrus. Tyrus is universally accepted as being Rome. And so you have uh, 
the Romans. And then uh, jump down to verse number four again, and you see the sons of Jabin. You have Tarshish. Tarshish, they, the, the sons of Tarshish migrated to Portugal and Spain. And then you have Kittim in verse number four, and they migrated to Cyprus. So you think maybe Jabath was enlarged by God. You better believe he was enlarged by God. You look at that map right there, and he was spread all, he spread north, uh, west, all over uh, Europe, and then branched down all the way down into Persia, uh, and uh, also into India. So uh, Japheth was definitely enlarged. Uh, some of the uh, greatest empires, uh, actually the greatest empires other than the Babylonian Empire, came forth from uh, this area, as will the last great empire uh, that will rule on earth before Jesus Christ returns. You've got the Mede-Persian Empire, you've got the Greek Empire, you've got the Roman Empire, and then you'll have the empire of the, the uh, Antichrist. And then later on in history, you stop and think about it, it was this, from this area <laughs> that all the migration came to the United States of America. So most of you descended from uh, some of the, the uh, sons of Japheth. Uh, now, so, so you see this, this prophecy fulfilled, I mean, to the T. May God enlarge Japheth. But here's, here's the interesting part. Right here. Now, Japheth probably started out pretty godly, and then they became godless over a short period of time. All of these sons, these, these nations, came to Babel to rebel against God. So it didn't take long for them to, to all become pretty godless. But, but uh, they weren't without hope, because look at what it says right here. It says, it says May the God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, you look at some of these empires. I mean, you look at the Mede-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and they certainly conquered uh, the areas of Shem. They conquered the Middle East, which is where we see Shem on the map. Uh, but but uh, I don't think that's what this prophecy is about right here. It says that uh, may he dwell in the tents of Shem. In that culture, what did it mean to dwell in somebody's tent? It was a big deal. If you lived with somebody in their tent, you took on their culture. You took on their food. You took on their harem. You took on whatever they had. And especially, you took on their religion. So what this prophecy is saying is that one day in the future, there's going to be a religion that comes forth, maybe religions that come forth out of the tents of Shem that are going to be adopted adopted by the sons of Japheth, by these nations in Europe. And that's exactly what happened with Christianity and is happening now uh, with the Muslims. They're actually moving into Europe. Well, Christianity moved into Europe and uh, spread from Europe over to the United States. And, and, and so we see this fascinating fulfillment of this poly- uh, prophecy right here as, as uh, 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 we finish up. And so... Uh, definitely uh, the sons of Jabeth took on uh, the religions of the sons of Shem. All right, now, I want to finish up. We want to finish up in chapter number 9. So let's read those last few verses right there. There's some interesting stuff in here, really interesting. Listen to what he says. He says, and Noah lived after, after the flood. Remember, he, he went on the boat. He was 600 years old when he went on the boat, when the flood began. So he lived after, after the flood 350 years. That's a long, long time, especially when people weren't living as long. He lived 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And I think he pretty much stayed up there somewhere around that dot. That's where he lived, those 350 years, up in those mountains uh, or in the valleys uh, of those mountains uh, in Ararat. Uh, now, what's interesting about this is that, that uh, Noah lived during the days of the Tower of Babel. He saw the fall of the Tower of Babel. He actually didn't die until Abraham was 60 years old. 
And Abraham lived in that general area. So I got to believe, they were close kin, I got to believe that Abraham actually knew Noah, which is really fascinating to me. Can you imagine actually getting a first-hand account of the flood? And some of this was passed down and, and uh, all the way down to Moses, and that's where we, we get our accounts here in, 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 uh, in Genesis. And I, you know, we got to leave Noah now. But what a great man Noah was. Why was he great? Because he had found grace in the, and favor in the sight of the Lord. All right, now, there you got it. I did it, Brandon. Messed up one name. Let's see you do that. Come up here and you try. Actually, I didn't get all the names. I skipped the ones that are hard to pronounce. Because I wasn't going to cover all of these names. But I wasn't going to skip this genealogy either. Now, if you count the nations, there are 70 nations. Isn't that fascinating? 70 nations. I mean, uh, exactly 70 nations. 26 nations that Shem fathered, uh, 30 nations that Ham fathered, and 14 nations that Japheth fathered. Now, I'm big into numbers, and, and God's big into numbers too, especially when he puts them in his word. Seventy is the number of God's perfect will. His perfect will. In Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, he says, Seventy weeks are to be determined for my people Israel. That, in other words, there's seventy weeks, periods of sevens, in which the will, my will will be fulfilled in the nation of Israel. That's, God, that's the number for God's perfect will. And here we see 70 nations, which tells me that these 70 nations were the nations determined by God in his perfect will. That he was sovereign over the birth of every one of these sons, every one of these descendants who became a nation. He was sovereign over where they were born and where they went after the fall of the Tower of Babel. He was sovereign over the language that they took over, over the slant of their eyes, over the race that they were. He was sovereign over every bit of that. Guess what? You want some encouragement today in this wicked world in which we live? He's sovereign over everything that takes place here today. He's always sovereign. Now, all of this is fascinating stuff. But you've got to ask the question, so what? So what? I mean, what does all of this mean to me here in the 21st century? Well, I'm going to show you that with one verse. A verse we didn't look at yet. And I hope there aren't any names in here I can't pronounce. Because I don't want to skip it. But go to verse number 25. To Eber. You know how you say that in Hebrew? Hebrew. This is where we get the name Hebrew. In Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, and his name means division. And names in in the Bible are very, very important. His name means division, for in his days or in his generation, look at what, what it says, the earth, the whole earth was divided. And then he says, by the way, his brother's name was Jokin. He was a big joke. Now, he really wasn't a big joke, but we won't see him again. So he wasn't important to our study. The name that's important is Peleg, because in Peleg's generation, with Peleg coming on the scene, the whole earth was divided. Now, Some people say this is a reference to the division of the continents that took place and that they're guessing that they took place in the days of Peleg's life. Uh, I don't think so. I believe the continents were put in place during the flood. Uh, So all of that turmoil that took place during the flood, and, and I think there's lots of physical evidence for that. Uh, so I, I, I rule that, that theory out. Others believe what this is referring to is Babel. And Peleg did live during the days of Babel uh, when the earth was divided by languages and races at that time. Uh, so that's the division that they would say that uh, the author is referring to, 
to here, but I don't think so. I think there's a much greater division that takes place in the days of Peleg, when Peleg comes on the scene. It's an eternal division. An eternal division between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who receive the blessing of Shem and those who don't receive the blessing of Shem. What's the blessing of Shem? To be, to know the Lord, for the Lord Jehovah to be your God, for you to know Him and for Him to know you. And how do you know Him? There's only one way you can know Him, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so, this is what that division is all about. See, in Peleg's line, there would be a birth of a new nation, a nation of who will, would be divided from the rest of the world, separated from the rest of the world, and that would be the people of faith. So you look at Peleg here, and it says again, uh, it says, so to Eber, and that's why you see the Hebrews here, are coming out of here. Were born the two sons, the name of one was Peleg, and in his days the earth was divided. Now jump ahead and look at verse uh, chapter number 11 and look down at verse number 16. It says, Eber, the Hebrew, the, the first Hebrew, lived 34 years and begot Peleg. Now there's no mention here of Jokton because now... It, the division has taken place. The division between all the other nations of the earth and this new nation that's going to come forth through the loins of Peleg. You see what, what we're seeing right here? And he begot Peleg, and Eber lived 400 year, 430 years, and he begot sons and daughters. Now you go through that list, and I'm not going to go through it all, but jump to verse number 27. And it says this, and he comes through Peleg. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, who became Abraham, the father of nations, the father of the sons of Shem, Ham, and Jabeth, who would receive Jesus Christ by faith and become a new nation uh, of the children of God by faith. You see how critical that is? See how important that is to you? That's why these genealogies are here. You're either part of this old group of 70 nations or you're part of the new nation. And now you're a pilgrim on this earth and you're headed for a new home and that home is heaven. Now take this one step further. Go with me over to Luke. And look in chapter number 3. And you see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we'll pick it up and work it backwards a little bit. But go all the way down to verse 38 and you see Adam, the son of God. Seth, the son of Adam. Then jump up a little ways to verse number 36. And you see Noah, the son of Lamech. And then you see Shem, the son of Noah. And then you see our fact side. I'm, back, I'm going back. Our, our facts add, uh the son of Shem. And then you work back a little bit further and you see Peleg, the son of Eber, the Hebrew. And then you jump up to verse number 34 and you see Abraham, the son of Terah. You see how all of this is working towards verse 23. Jesus, who began his ministry. This is his genealogy. So is it important to you? You better believe these genealogies are important to you. You know, the Messiah came forth from the loins of Peleg. That's where he came forth from. To reverse the curse of Adam. And to reverse the curse of Ham. He came from the son of Shem. Peleg is the son of Shem. So that the sons of Shem, Jabeth, 
and Ham could all receive eternal life. But in doing so, remember Jesus saying, I I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. In doing so, he divided the world. The whole earth was divided uh, between those who receive him and those who reject him. Between those who will live forever with Christ and those who will live forever in hell. Hey, the choice is yours. And it's a simple choice. Be careful. Be really careful that you're not living in self-righteousness. That you're not living thinking you're going to make it to heaven based upon your religion. That you're not living a life before God. But that you're living a life of God. A life that you can only live by the power of the Holy Spirit, only if you've been born again. Jesus said you must be born again. To become a son of Abraham, it simply takes faith. But you gotta, it's got to be faith that's sold out to Christ in that cross. If you're there, that, the good news is, hey, you, you, you found a new, new father, a new home, and you've got a blessed future. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for just the great things that you teach us through your word. Well, we only touched on this fascinating chapter here, but all archaeology has done over the centuries has proven your word to be 100% accurate. I mean, you're, Lord, if we want to know something about science, if we want to know something about anthropology or archaeology, we just turn to your word, and truth is there. We just thank you for that. But, Lord, we thank you most of all for the great truth that, that uh, uh, we have such a blessing in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, in, as, in being a son of Peleg, a son of Abraham, a son of Shem, uh, your son, Lord. What a, what a great blessing that is. Father, we have so much to look forward to, and we're so grateful to you. Uh, Lord, if there's anyone who really isn't experiencing that blessing of your eternal life through Christ, Lord, I ask today that you touch them and today be the day of their salvation. Again, we just thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.